The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Naked Brain. Naked Brain. M.I.P. With Massimella Matsumal. Mark Thompson. Naked Brain. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, pleased to talk with an organization I have a great deal of admiration for, Young Invincibles. And today we have representing Young Invincibles, Jesse Barber, who is Senior Director for External Affairs. Jesse, how are you, man? I'm doing well. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. So the first thing I want to know is, Am, am I too old to be a young invincible? I want to be invincible. Listen, I don't want to cut you off. We're going to represent a whole lot of people that are grow, going to grow into age. But we represent young people, 18 to 34 year olds. And so uh, that is our cutoff there. So, you know, we started with advocating for millennials. But now the next generation, those Gen Zers are coming up behind them. And we're going to continue to broaden the scope of young people of how we advocate for them and show up. Well, so if it's 18 to 34, then. I'm I'm good, right? You want me cut? You want me cut? <laughs> no, man. No, this 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 is this is great. So you all very well, first before I do that though, let, let me just ask this: that age that demographic, and young invincibles. How? Let our audience know how crucial young invincibles and that age group were to getting Biden and Harris elected. That was pretty significant, correct? Yeah, I mean, let, let's talk about it for a moment, right? New analysis we now know shows that young people cast over 25 million votes for in this presidential election, okay? Um, you know, I think, and we at Young Invincibles think, that that demands a seat at the table for any policy conversations happening right now in Washington. So as Vice President and soon-to-be President-elect Biden and Vice President Harris start putting together their cabinet, we want to make sure that young people have a, a seat at the table. Not only that, but young people showed up supporting Biden by a two-to-one margin, um, which is incredible, especially in uh, those battleground states and in those urban cities in Detroit, in Philadelphia, in Atlanta, right? These are these are the battleground states that allowed uh, Vice President Biden to secure the nomination. And so what we are saying is that young Americans, 
all young Americans must have a seat at the table in this Biden-Harris administration. We need to push for bold action on climate change, on health care, on student debt, racial justice, and so much more. Um, so, yes, certainly young people uh, allowed uh, Vice President Biden to secure this, uh, this victory. So you're absolutely right. You should have a seat. We all should have a seat to the table, especially young people. Uh, so you all have put forward what is called the path forward, a bold policy agenda for young people by young people. Tell us about that and, and what you put forward to this transition team. Yeah, Mark, you know, I think before we get into it, let's let's just take a quick step back and just remember that the Great Recession was only 10 years ago. Right. And that resulted in young people having lower earnings, fewer assets and less wealth than previous generations. And then what happened? COVID struck and it tossed young people yet again into the deepest pits of another recession. And it's going to take years, if not a generation, to dig out of the debt lives and jobs lost. And, you know, historically speaking, youth unemployment skyrockets during a recession, right? Again, using the Great Recession as a great uh, moment marker in history, unemployment for young people reached 20%. For African-American teens, it was 43%. You know, when you look at what happened during COVID-19, youth unemployment hit a peak of 27%. And today, right now, December 3rd, 10 months later into this pandemic, youth unemployment still stands at 11.7%. So clearly something must change. And I say time and again that young people are the first line of defense and they are the last line of defense. The cavalry isn't coming. This is it, folks. And so we at Young Invincibles are fighting to make sure young people are protected in this recession. Um, and so one of the most powerful things that we do at Young Invincibles is we listen to our young adults in our networks. Uh, we have networks all across the country, in California, Colorado, Illinois, Texas, and New York. And we take their feedback and concerns very seriously. So when COVID struck, we heard stories of the lack of access to basic needs like food, housing, transportation. You know, we had stories of young adults sitting in the parking lot of Taco Bell because of a lack of broadband connectivity trying to do their schoolwork. We've heard stories of a lack of health insurance to get tested at hospitals and certainly a lack of resources for mental health uh, facilities. So what we are saying is that young people have an important story to tell, but also we need a plan of action. And that is what the, the, the path forward is. We are looking to lawmakers to make a meaningful shift in our country's approach to policy that grounds it in three core tenets and three core pillars. One, we want to tackle the root causes of today's problems. No more Band-Aids. We're done with that. Two, we need to envision a new model of policymaking that is grounded in inclusive, diverse, and equity-oriented worldview. Young people are the most diverse and the most well-educated generations in history. We're also the most indebted, but we're also not a monolith. And third, but certainly not last, we need to create policy solutions that promote broadly shared prosperity. Our system it can no longer sideline disenfranchised communities and communities of color. So that agenda, in our eyes, must center on young people. And that's how we arrived at the path forward. I would also dare say, as, as we've been covering COVID and the disproportionality 
of how it's affecting people of color on the front line and therefore putting them at greater risk for COVID, I'm sure that that overlaps with young people. I mean, a lot of the people in, in these jobs, in these service jobs, and you know, I live here in New York, in, in restaurants, some place like that, those tend to be young people in the young invincibles age demographic and therefore exposing them in order to work and survive for low wages to the risks of COVID itself, correct? You couldn't be more right. You know, young people, as you said, disproportionately work in industries that are being hit the hardest right now. Retail, bars, restaurant, some are gig workers and making them among the most at risk of not only losing their jobs because of some of these lockdown measures we've seen across the country, but they're also at risk of losing job-based health coverage or the ability to even uh, afford an individual plan. And let's not forget that young people make up 40% of the labor force. And so when we're talking about the next uh, future of workforce responsibility and how we get beyond COVID, we must think about young people. Yeah. Um, obviously, student debt is, is high on priority list, is it not? You all are going to challenge the Biden administration, the Biden-Harris administration, to do something about student debt and college affordability, correct? That's, that's exactly right. You know, the United States, we are facing uh, unprecedented and historic public health and economic crisis, right? We've got you know, 40 million Americans that right now are crushed under the weight of one and a half trillion dollars in federal student debt. And so, you know, for us, what we believe to be true is that the anchor of student debt is not just a moral imperative, but it's also an economic and racial imperative, right? We know that student debt cancellation, it improves racial equity. We know that student debt cancellation stimulates the economy. And we know that student debt cancellation also has widespread support. You know, for this path forward report that we released yesterday, 60% of young adults that we surveyed across the nation, over 2,000 of them, they support full student debt forgiveness for all borrowers. Again, this is across political ideologies, whether you are liberal, whether you are moderate, whether you are conservative. And so what that tells us is that the first and foremost thing that this administration can do on day one is embrace broad student debt cancellation. And it's achievable. Um, college affordability also includes um, covering living expenses for students away in college, correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, we also believe that, you know, the student debt is one element of college affordability, but so many students were kicked off of their college campuses when COVID struck and they lost key lifelines like housing, um, like transportation, like accessible food. And so in order for us to believe and imagine a world where young people have access to those things, we also need to ensure that there's a strong and robust federal state finance partnership, right? At a time of unprecedented investment in the national economy and direct support for individuals, as we've seen with the CARES Act, you know, Congress should really move to make a long overdue commitment to public higher education. And so what we are arguing and what we will continue to beat the drum on is that this partnership with states who we know 
during budget crisis, education is the first thing on the chopping block. We need to ensure financial burdens from this present crisis do not straddle students with unbearable debt loads for decades to come. There's some other points here that are interesting. And, and, and this is some language that um, me and my audience may not be that familiar with. So I'm going to just kind of group these together and have you expound. Rev Speaking of school, folks, revolutionizing course delivery and degree program structure, embracing equity imperative on college campuses and implementing student ready models of support. As a former student activist, I wish we'd had that kind of vision back in my day. But talk to us about what, what each of those means. That's, that's fascinating. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we did in coming up with this path forward planned and agenda is we sat down with lawmakers. We sat down with practitioners. We, we certainly sat down with young people. And we really dove into how we center the future of a, a higher education model that meets students' needs today. And so what have we said? And I mentioned this at the onset. You know, a lot of the stories that we've we've heard are young students sitting in parking lots trying to access the Wi-Fi from a Taco Bell because there's not broadband that's strong enough to carry the signal to their home. And so we are seeing a rapid transition from primarily in-person course delivery on traditional college campuses to something that is more online. And I, I can't impress upon the importance of online learning platforms in this day and age. We have heard from the president of Paul Quinn Cook College uh, University saying that we do, young people do everything online. We date online. We order food online. And so why shouldn't we have state-of-the-art course delivery models that meet this moment online? So that is the first thing. But also we know how this digital divide strikes across uh, you know, the, the, the color barrier, right? We know that young urban communities may not have access to some of these broadband, uh, these broadband opportunities, much like their rural counterparts may not have access. So we really need to have a robust and doubling down of these infrastructure models to again, meet this university crafted program of study um, and really have this connectivity of the 21st century that we have consistently uh, talked about. Yeah, no, that's very, very important. Also in the area of healthcare, of course, universal health coverage, but you all are also raising other, a couple of other very important issues, eliminating the drivers of medical debt. We don't talk enough about that. And I also appreciate you all bringing up the inequitable uh, and, and and quality of care as it is, you know, shared across the racial divide. Yeah. So, you know, let, let's unpack healthcare for a moment, but it is, is massive. Um, yeah. And healthcare system hasn't really changed much since its post-World War II creation, right? It's, it's still too expensive. It's still certainly inequitable and it is not universal. And so we've seen a lot of good that has come with the Affordable Care Act, right? We've seen over 8 million young adults gaining insurance through the health insurance marketplaces. But then something happened in the last three and a half years, nearly four years, and this administration has pivoted to defunding and deregulating through administrative action in order to gut the Affordable Care Act. But not only that, they've also cut the open enrollment period in half and slashed the marketing for open enrollment. And so what we are seeing now is a retreat from young people from getting insured. And so what young people want, again, across political ideology, 
that we have surveyed is that they favor the expansion of an affordable health care with a public option, in addition to also supporting Medicare for all. And I think the, the, the silver lining to this COVID pandemic is that finally young people understand that health coverage is economic security. Plain and simple health is wealth. And so young adults believe that, you know, young, uh, that healthcare access should be universally accessible, comprehensive and affordable. And it should be meeting them where they are. Right now, telehealth uh, for mental health among our young adults is the number one thing that we hear as something that needs to be fixed in our current broken system. And that is not just an accessible, uh, an accessibility issue, but it's an equity issue as well. Um, but beyond that, you know, the medical debt protection, surprise medical bills are one cause of medical debt among consumers. Uh, but more needs to be done to ensure that these consumers, particularly young people with limited net savings, because we are the most indebted generation, that they are, that they have affordable means and that these unaffordable medical bills don't turn into debt collection. So, you know, we are proposing, you know, an expansion of non uh, of ACA uh, uh, opportunities to a lot of these young people that have traditionally been excluded uh, from the marketplace. We also need to impress upon the administration, don't we, the need to uh, increase wages and deal with structural racism in employment as well, correct? That's right, right. I mentioned this at the, at the beginning, but the Great Recession, again, right, it resulted in young people having fewer assets, less savings, and more debt. And so history has shown us that depressed wages and racist policies have excluded many low-income people and people from Black, Indigenous, and other populations of color from economic prosperity. And COVID-19 is only exacerbating these inequities. And so in order for us to meet that moment and to really protect the most vulnerable, we can do something so simple that has bipartisan support. And that is by raising the minimum wage to $15 per hour. Um, we talked with our, our young adults in our survey, and 60% of young people believe and want a minimum wage that is at least $10 per hour. And so, Young Invincibles, we know, however, that there's no county in America where $13 an hour can ensure economic security for a single individual with no children. So that is why it's imperative we raise that to at least $15 uh, uh, per hour. So, you know, we are, we are, we are looking... Um, you know, at making sure that the next administration and the next Congress that steps in really takes bolder steps also to end some of these arbitrary and punitive policies that we've seen that restrict young people from food, housing, and basic needs, right? There's no reason why during a public pandemic that we should be having work requirements in order to access SNAP, uh, SNAP benefits. And so at the end of the day, young people can either continue to shoulder the brunt of our economic fallout or policymakers and institutions can lead and really rethink about how to meet our needs. Yeah. Um, and of course, folks, Jess is alluding to another plank in the path forward, what they presented to the Biden-Harris administration, the strengthening of social programs, not retreating from social programs, but strengthening social programs to address some of these basic human needs. Lastly, um, Young Invincibles is arguing for the building work, building of workforce data systems to meet evolving uh, employment needs. Tell us about that, if you will. Yeah, right. I think we need to be able to collect and analyze uh, current and historic data, right? I think that that is the only way that we understand 
where where the resources must be redirected in order for us to really meet the moment and create and build a more equitable uh, future of workforce environment. And we, again, sat down with, for example, the um, uh, someone that works for Mayor Woodfin down in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, and, and they have a robust and integrated data systems repository where they understand how policies really flow into their communities and the dollars that follow and create the return on investment that some of these are that, that we have seen to be drivers of economic prosperity across age demographic, gender demographic. Uh, and so that is what we are hoping that we can replicate on the federal level. We need to take notice uh, of what some of these uh, institutions and the cities are really leading and doing. I know this path forward agenda is, is, is hot off the presses, Jesse. But have have you all gotten any response from the Biden-Harris administration yet? Have you been able to have access? I mean, frankly, and I'm sure you've seen some of the news and I've been talking to, you know, some of my civil rights colleagues. There are a number of organizations that have not been even able to get a hearing yet with the Biden-Harris team. How is Young Invincibles doing with that? Is, is, is your constituency able to get through the door? You know, that's, that's a very good question. And we have uh, two products that are out. This path forward is a little bit more bold structural reforms for institutional leaders uh, and for policymakers. So if you are a leader of a higher education institution, uh, if you are leading um, workforce strategies at the city, state or federal level, this path forward document is also for you. Um, and so we have shared this plan with the Biden administration. We have not heard back yet. Of course, as you said, this is hot off the presses. Uh, but we also have another plan, and it's our 100-day plan. We co-created that with uh, Sunrise Movement, uh, Pay Our Interns, um, you know, uh, a few other organizations, Unidos U.S., National Network for Youth Housing, um, and, and the Roosevelt Institute. And again, that is really another document that we have heard uh, silence on. Uh, and silence is often uh, speaks louder than words and actions. And so we are hoping, and it is our hope, that we can sit down with the Biden-Harris administration and really talk about a path forward for young adults out of COVID and beyond. So uh, yeah. so thank you, Mark. Yeah, well, uh, and, and I hope you all will be heard on that. Lastly, let me just ask you something. Um, there's been a lot more and more discussion lately, even from President Obama, about the term defund the police. And as you were speaking earlier about, you know, the overwhelming number of young people that came out to vote um, and that, that voted overwhelmingly, obviously, for Democrats, um, there are pollsters whom I know who've been guests on this show that while President Obama and some Democrats saying defund the police was hurtful to Democrats, that are saying the opposite, that defund the police, um, the very thought, vision or debate around that actually mobilized 18 to 35 year olds to get out and vote to the polls. And as someone who, who works with 18 to 35 year olds, do you agree with that theory? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And we agree too. Um, you know, first and foremost, I want to say that we stand in, in solidarity with you know, the thousands of young leaders that have taken to the streets to demand justice uh, for all of the lives lost. And, and Young Invincible certainly joins their calls to defund the police and, and defend black lives and really defend our communities. And so certainly Young Invincibles is not a criminal justice organization. We work with and we uplift um, you know, the work that some of our partner organizations are seeking to do. 
Um, but centering black lives in our work means that it's time to divest from police and invest in black futures. And so, you know, a lot of our young people took to the streets, right? And we supported them in doing that. And so what we believe uh, needs to happen is, you know, and what we think that this movement calls for uh, is a doubling down in wraparound services, right? Homelessness services, uh, youth and community development, healthcare services, mental health resources. And ultimately, the call to defund the police should be understood as a call to reinvest in our communities and explore new solutions. And so, yeah, we certainly support that movement. And yes, young people certainly have been energized by this movement. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought that's, that's good to know. Folks, we invite you to go to org to read about A Path Forward and get involved in what they're doing. And we'll be hearing much more from, from, from them. Jesse, um, good to talk to you. We're at your disposal uh, and um, always here to let the public know what you all are working on as well uh, in a way that we can be supportive. Let us know. Um, and you all heard Jesse now. So t- he said, I'm a young invincible. So from now on, when I say that, don't y'all question my age <laughs> or anything else. Because Jesse said it. I'm young. All right. Jesse, thank you, brother. All right. Thank you, Mark. All right. Thank you. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, subscribe. And wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.